Good afternoon, John. Good afternoon, Jim. Well, we have a wonderful day and opportunity to further investigate things concerning the end times. Our podcast is titled Apocalypse is Coming, and that touches upon so many things regarding the future that the believer holds dear and has been taught and instructed in, and we want to uh, continue that theme as we go forward. Today is podcast number nine. You know, John, yesterday, or I mean, the last time we dealt with uh, this matter of apocalypse is coming, uh, we talked about the Antichrist in podcast number eight, and that was the second uh, of our series on the Antichrist. And we dealt uh, with various things about him as recorded in scripture. And we ended up by going through the book of Daniel in a somewhat uh, summary way to show how that for the first time in all of the Bible, the Antichrist arises as a person prophesied by Daniel for the end of the age, for the end of history. And uh, we will go on to talk about the Antichrist uh, next time in podcast 10, probably, uh, about uh, how he is presented in the Gospel of Matthew by our Lord himself in his great Olivet Discourse. But it seemed appropriate to me that we ought to pause here and talk about the book of Daniel, uh, because the wonderful prophecies about the coming world empires, uh, the coming Antichrist who will rule the world uh, over that last great uh, empire of 10 nations uh, at the end time, uh, how the Antichrist will oppose Jesus Christ, how he will afflict and persecute Israel, all these things in the book of Daniel really amount to the fact that Daniel is prophesying a future. And this future lies, oh, 2,500 years into the future uh, from where he uh, wrote. Uh, we're living in the year 2020, and Daniel prophesies in the 6th century, 500 and more years before Christ. So that's a tremendous time. And it is important that we know that Daniel is indeed trustworthy as a book that we can uh, come to and read and understand. So uh, in today's podcast, we want to deal with the, uh, the truth that Daniel is trustworthy and true. Uh, and because of that, we have a wonderful hope about the future. It turns out that the book of Daniel is probably the most severely attacked book of the Old Testament by liberal theology and people who believe along that line. Uh, liberal theology and uh, uh, people who espouse that reject the inspiration of the Bible. It treats the Bible as any other book, like a human book, and thus there cannot be prophecy about the future. Uh, prophecy that takes place hundreds and thousands of years into the future. So it treats Daniel as written in not the 6th century, but about 400 years later in the 2nd century, and that Daniel is not prophesying the rise of four empires as we have tried to make clear, namely Babylon, Media, Persia, Greece, and Rome, but they divide that second kingdom into two different realms so that we end up with Babylon, Media, Persia, and Greece. And that if we put Daniel in the second century, he's not prophesying anything because he doesn't go beyond the Greek empire, which was contemporaneous with the second century. And so there's a major uh, discord here between what evangelicals believe, what we as Christians, Christians believe, what we believe that the Bible is teaching, and those who take the Bible as a merely human book that cannot predict the future, that God does not 
uh, really uh, exist to predict the future and give us anything about it. They go so far as to claim that Daniel is a fake. It is uh, fake news, we might use that word. Uh, <laughs> and it doesn't come from the sixth century, isn't prophesying anything about the Antichrist or the second coming of Christ. It is totally a human book. So we want to deal with that. And first of all, we want to uh, raise the issue of why does this matter? Uh, and and number, the number one thought that comes to my mind, at least, is that either God is going to do certain things in the end of the world, in the end times, or he isn't. It includes whether there will be then an Antichrist who will control all the world's economies and religions and militaries. Uh, whether there will be a great tribulation of plagues and earthquakes and famine and pandemics all on an unprecedented scale. And I might say more so than the scale that we are presently facing uh, under the present uh, coronavirus pandemic. Uh, it challenges therefore the rise of a fifth empire in the form of a 10 nation confederacy as I've already mentioned. And even the return of the second coming of Christ which he promised his believers, his followers, in John chapter 14, verses one and following, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go away and do that, I will come again. So first of all, the liberal attitude challenges uh, all the predictive things that Daniel uh, gives us in his book. And, you know, even in a greater question yet, many of us uh, believers, do affirm that Daniel is the key to prophecy because what he says in his book leads to what Jesus says at the end of his uh, ministry before he's crucified. It leads to what Paul says about the end time. It leads most importantly to what John the Apostle says in the book of Revelation where eight or nine or ten different chapters are devoted to the end of the world. And if Daniel is uh, not trustworthy or true, then these prophecies also found in the New Testament that build on Daniel are called into question. Jim? Yes. Let me ask you a question. You know, some people might say, you know, when you get into the weeds here on our discussion about Daniel, it might be conceived by some people as kind of an esoteric or intellectual or scholastic uh, study that doesn't have immediately practical implications. Yes. But let, let me suggest this. Uh, what we're talking about here is the um, particularity and the specificity and the reality and, for want of a better term, the concrete nature of the promises that are given in the book of Daniel, not to mention in the rest of the scriptures regarding the end times. Those things are extremely important in a practical sense. Here we are in the midst of this pandemic, and who knows what may come in the next two or three years after this one is dealt with. And that is just the run-up to all of the tribulations and uh, other hairy circumstances that are spoken of in the book of Revelation. And there's, there's two really, uh, there's really two ways or great camps that all of these difficulties can be approached. If you're a believer, you have something that non-believers don't have 
in dealing with them. You have hope. And, and in a recent uh, short paper that I wrote, I talked about hope as it's, as it's defined in the New Testament. You know, the world's view of hope is something that is uh, maybe preferred as a future outcome of some situation, but there's no guarantee about it. And so in the world's understanding of hope, uh, there's, also, there's always the probability of non-fulfillment. But hope in the New Testament is always based upon the promises of God and their assurance uh, that they will be uh, fulfilled uh, by the one who is faithful uh, to his promises. And so hope for the believer is, is not an issue of, 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 that allows for any doubt, but it is uh, an issue that creates great confidence in the future because we know of assurance what will be happening, not just to the world, um, but to us. And for the promises and the prophecies of the book of Daniel to be at all uh, placed in any doubt by what I would call uh, demonstrably substandard um, style or uh, system of biblical interpretation really and dramatically affects the confidence that a believer should have in difficult times. And it, it really wipes out the hope that God has given to his saints as a heritage not only to be treasured, but to be used in practical circumstances that are difficult in times of distress and upheaval like today's are. Yes. You know, John, your comments uh, remind me of a couple things. One is the biblical passage of Second Peter 3. And because your, our, our listeners may ask uh, the simple question, well, why is it that the believer's hope is strong? and confident concerning the future and rests on assured promises of God. How do we know that God's going to keep his promises after all? Well, the great answer to that is that he kept his promise regarding the first coming of Jesus Christ. That is, the Old Testament prophets prophesied a coming Messiah who would first die and then come as a reigning king. Uh, we can think of passages like Isaiah 53 uh, and other great texts from the Old Testament, uh, from Psalms and so forth. Uh, the great uh, assurance we have that God is going to keep the promises about the second coming of Christ rest upon the fulfillment of promises regarding the first coming of Christ. Second Peter chapter one, he virtually said that very thing that we uh, have not been passing on a myths and strange tales to you about the coming glory of Christ, but because of uh, what Jesus did in his first coming and the proclamation by God, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Peter says, we heard those words when we were with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That means that uh, he is going to be glorified because they saw the glorified Christ in a pre-vision uh, of that on the Mount of Transfiguration. And Peter says that for us confirms uh, that God is going to keep his promises about the second coming of Christ. So building on what you were just saying, secondly, I am convinced that the understanding that Daniel is true and truthful 
reliable and true uh, will convince us at once we believe in, in, and are convinced of that, it can change our lives. We will approach the Bible and our understanding of the worldview of the Bible in a great deal of uh, enthusiasm. We can be overwhelmed by the uh, promises of that which is coming. We can be thrilled to be a part of a masterful plan that God is taking, that God is fulfilling, that he began way back before he ever created this world, and that this plan encapsulates the sufferings of the present time, whether it be a pandemic or other things, and all of this is working toward a preordained conclusion to history. I think mm. we can talk about uh, that preordained uh, conclusion, maybe under the term the Battle of Armageddon, which will be an end of all wars and bring in and usher in a period of unprecedented peace, of uh, righteousness, goodness, uh, finality, uh, prosperity that the world has never seen before. But all of that comes only after going through a great period of tribulation and suffering. So we can become thrilled and excited as we're convinced of the reliability and trustworthiness of Daniel. So we want to devote the rest of our time in this podcast to answering the question, how do we know that Daniel is trustworthy and true? You know, liberal theology and enemies of the cross will attack uh, the Bible, uh, but particularly the book of Daniel, and accuse it of having certain historical inaccuracies. They will uh, uh, raise the issue of why is it in two languages, namely Aramaic and Hebrew. They will raise such things as, well, the theology of Daniel is far too advanced to be written in the sixth century, it must come from the second century, and on and on it goes. These people like to stress the challenges and difficulties of the book of Daniel, when for well over hundreds of years, all of these challenges have been answered adequately by believing Christians. And uh, it's simply an interesting observation that uh, liberal theology uh, exaggerates these claims and never discuss, propose answers to them that have been proposed by believers in the Bible through several centuries. So putting that all aside, and I address that in my book dealing with uh, the Antichrist, I want to share then in the rest of this broadcast with you, John, uh, several proofs about the reliability of Daniel. You know, right within the book itself, we have amazing statements on the part of Daniel and even Nebuchadnezzar. You know, and Nebuchadnezzar, when he had this great dream in chapter 2, and doesn't want to tell anybody about it and waits for somebody to tell him both the dream and the interpretation. He says, uh, when Daniel announces the fact that there is a God in heaven who knows the truth and knows what the uh, dream is and what its interpretation is, Dan, uh, Nebuchadnezzar has prefaced uh, Daniel's remarks by asking, uh, certainly the answer is not found among men on earth. Only the gods in the heavens could know the answer to this. And Daniel indeed does say that there is a God who exists, and he rules in heaven and rules on earth below, and he had given to Daniel the not only the uh, interpretation of the vision, but the vision itself. And Daniel is fully aware of the fact that uh, as the vision has been related to him, and he shares it then with Nebuchadnezzar, that the penalty for a false prophet from uh, the Bible itself is quite severe. In other words, uh, for liberal theology to say that his prophecies are false or have failed or whatever, uh, Daniel himself is fully aware that Deuteronomy 13 and 18 gave two great tests for a true prophet. And one is that he has to speak according to the truth of 
the Bible that had been revealed by God. And secondly, he has to, uh, his prophecies have to come to pass. It's interesting that in the setting of Daniel, in the book of Jeremiah, at that same time, contemporary with Jeremiah, contemporary with Daniel, we have a false prophet. And he uh, tells Jeremiah, he takes a yoke and puts it around his head and says, Jeremiah, this yoke is going to be broken in two years. The captivity is not going to last for 70 years, only two years. And that deeply distresses Jeremiah. And the, and the word from the Lord comes back and says, before the end of the year, I think the name of the prophet uh, here in this case is Hananiah. Hananiah is going to die by the end of the year. He uttered a false prophecy. And so it came to pass, he died. So Daniel's fully aware that uh, prophecy is uh, dear to the heart of God. It has to be true if it comes from God. And therefore, he's willing to stand alone and to uh, uh, proclaim and interpret uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So there are evidences within the book of Daniel itself of how reliable uh, this prophecy is. I think it's so important to realize that another contemporary of Daniel's is the prophet Ezekiel, who has left us a major book of prophecy in the Old Testament. He was also a contemporary of Daniel, and he twice refers to Daniel in his book. Three times in chapter 14, he talks about Daniel being righteous and compares him to Noah and Job. Three times he does that. And then on another occasion in chapter 28, he identified Daniel as wise. So here is a contemporary of Ezekiel, uh, way back, uh, Daniel and Ezekiel being contemporary back in the sixth century. And uh, Ezekiel uh, gives accreditation and uh, validates uh, who the person of Daniel is. Uh, moving into the New Testament, and John, this is a passage that we will deal next time in our podcast, Lord willing, uh, and that's Matthew 24. The only mention of Daniel by name in the New Testament, the only one who uh, refers to this particular quotation in the book of Daniel is the Lord Jesus himself. So in Matthew 24, 15, Jesus says, when you see that standing in the place, where he should not be, the abomination of desolation, when you read that, spoken by Daniel the prophet. So those words from Jesus validate that there is an historical Daniel, that he prophesied of a uh, coming time when the Antichrist will cause the abomination that desolates the temple. And from Jesus' own perspective, that is yet coming. So it hasn't been fulfilled in Daniel's time hasn't been fulfilled in the second century, according to liberal theologians, wasn't even fulfilled in the future from Jesus' time in AD 70, because John the Apostle, writing 40 years later, still talked about it as coming yet future. So Jesus' very mention of Daniel, and as I said, the only time he's named in the New Testament by Jesus, validates the prophecy of Daniel. If a single word of what Jesus says and a single word of Daniel is not true, then it, such a prophecy about uh, the Antichrist to come is uh, uh, unreliable and uh, cannot be uh, trusted. Jim, may I make a mention here that also uh, would say something about the nature and the character of Jesus himself. If Jesus uh, knew of a fact that Daniel had not spoken authoritatively, and that uh, what he spoke about was not to come to pass, 
then Jesus would be using a contrivance. And Jesus himself, in that sense, would be being a deceiver. And so it goes right to the, the reality of Jesus' support of Daniel and his factuality and the truth of what he had to prophesy goes right to the, the nature of Jesus' character itself. Yes, and we believe that Jesus is, the, is God incarnate. He cannot lie. Therefore, uh, we have a firm foundation in that belief that everything that he says must be true. And it cannot be proven, therefore, and shown in any way among Jesus's many discourses and words that he ever spoke what was not truthful. So you uh, hit the nail on the head, John, that it goes to the truest identity of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But of course, liberal theology doesn't care anyway, even about that, because they reject Jesus Christ as being God incarnate and therefore uh, liable to make all kinds of false statements and so forth. In fact, one of the statements we'll deal with in the future is that uh, he is coming back again, and therefore liberal theology says, well, where is he? He didn't come back, let's say, in AD 70, uh, when Jerusalem and the uh, temple were destroyed by the Romans. That's what Jesus thought was going to happen. It didn't happen, so Jesus was a false prophet and false teacher regarding that even. That's for another podcast. You know, outside the Bible, there are many other reasons to uh, consider Daniel to be trustworthy and true. <clears throat> it's amazing that in among the Dead Sea Scrolls that were discovered uh, around 1949, all kinds of ancient copies of Old Testament books were on earth. And among them are uh, copies of the book of Isaiah, which are the most numerous. But next to that uh, deposit are copies of the book of Daniel the second most numerous uh, number of copies. And that bears witness to the fact that the Jews must have thought this was a significant book worthy of preserving and keeping and copying over and over again. Um, Daniel himself, as uh, the content of his book is concerned, is used by Zechariah, who was a prophet in the fifth century, uh, another hundred years or so later than Daniel. Uh, he refers to four horses and four chariots and these all probably key off the book of Daniel and the four uh, kingdoms that Daniel sees in chapter 2 and 7. Uh, another Old Testament person, Nehemiah, writing in the same 5th century, uh, uses language that's borrowed from Daniel's prayer in chapter 9 of Daniel. Uh, this obviously could not happen in the 5th century if liberal theology is correct in assuming that Daniel uh, writes in the 2nd century. Uh, the Jews hold a, by tradition, and Josephus, a Jewish writer living at the time of Paul and beyond, uh, the Jews have this strong tradition that the Old Testament concluded with the book of Malachi. No other books were ever added to the Jewish canon. So with the third and fourth century, the Old Testament is completed. Uh, there's a book uh, written by a Jew by the name of uh, Sirach called The Wisdom of Sirach. And early in the third century, he assumed the canon is closed. You know, I wrote down something interesting that the Talmud says about Daniel. And this is a, a Jewish writing, <clears throat> which it finally, finally appears in the time of the Christian era. But the Talmud has this quotation, or I'm going to quote from it. On a balance scale, you know, if we had a scale weighing Daniel and uh, other prophets on the other side, the statement from the Talmud is that Daniel on one side would outweigh all the wise men of the nations of the world. So that's how 
valuable, they considered the book of Daniel. It certainly is supported by a strong Jewish uh, tradition. I want to come back to jo Josephus, whose name I mentioned already. Josephus is a contemporary of Paul. Uh, he lived beyond the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Uh, he has an extended discussion in his work called The Antiquities. And people can read uh, the translation of this in various sources. He extensively discusses Daniel's prophecies, almost all the chapters. And when he gets into uh, chapter uh, two and seven, he talks about the prophecy of Daniel concerning four kingdoms. And he makes the fourth kingdom Rome. That directly contradicts what liberal theology would say in trying to make media the second and Persia the third kingdom ending with Greece. Here is an early attestation in the first century AD that Daniel was talking about the four kingdoms concluding with Rome during which Josephus lived. He goes on to make other statements, does Josephus. He said that Daniel, many years before the rise of Antiochus IV in the second century, uh, predicted his rise. This is uh, referring to Daniel chapter 8 and chapter 11. So Josephus' word that Daniel predicted this many years before the rise of Antiochus makes it impossible that Daniel was living in the second century contemporaneous with Antiochus IV. Um, and then he has an interesting section in which he discusses the question, can God predict the future? Because he points out that certain people in his own day, namely the Epicureans, deny God's ability to predict the future. And he says in, in effect that this is foolish and, and um, beyond uh, the conviction of uh, Jewish believers in his day. I guess oh, liberalism... Liberalism goes way back then, huh? <laughs> yes, it does. It certainly does. And here's the final thought about Josephus. In chapter 2, Daniel refers to the stone cut out of the mountain without hands, which Christians take as a prediction of Jesus Christ to come in his kingdom. And Josephus makes the statement, even though he doesn't try to identify who this is, he said, this is yet future. And because it's future, he doesn't want to comment on it. But he knew it was there in the book of Daniel. And he said it was future. And we all believe it's future as well. Amazing you know, stuff. Yeah. The, and, and then I want to add a discussion briefly here of two other sources outside the Bible. <clears throat> In my pursuit of writing my book about the Antichrist, I decided to turn to the Old Testament Pseudepigrapha. That's a group of literature, and by its name, Pseudepigrapha, meaning false writings. <clears throat> These are writings that grew up during the intertestamental period and into the Christian era, written by Jews and Christians, and they reflect back upon the Old Testament and what the promises are there. And uh, some, several, several of these works are called apocalypses. There are other kinds of uh, books here. There's probably 40 or 50 of these or more uh, under the category of Old Testament pseudepigrapha. Two large volumes are available in English to read about these. Well, several of these are called apocalypses, and we have the apocalypse of Daniel, of Ezra, of Elijah, and of Isaiah. And interestingly, in reading through these, <clears throat> it is clear that they all assume that Daniel and the truth about the Antichrist, as we found there, find there, and in the New Testament, are all reliable, and they are still looking for the expectation of his, they still expect the arrival of the Antichrist in the future. 
So what they're doing is building upon what is taught in Daniel and in the New Testament about a coming end of the world associated with the second coming of Christ and so forth. The whole point is that they did not lose faith. They did not lose uh, um, belief in the thing that Daniel and the New Testament had promised. And then finally, the Apostolic Fathers. These are a group of Christian writers, the first ones after the time of the New Testament. Some of these were written by the end of the first century, AD 90. In fact, one of them, the Didache, goes back to as early as AD 50, 60. And these are, this is an early church manual about how Christians should live. Well, in the Apostolic Fathers, we have seven or eight different authors grouped together. They're all in Greek. I taught these for many years while in seminary teaching. And there's an ongoing understanding on the part of all of these that the promises, again, that Daniel makes about the future, the Antichrist who's coming and so forth, and what Jesus says about him and Paul and John in the Revelation are, again, carried on by the early church fathers. They do not ever express the idea that, oh, this is all past, prophecy has failed, or something like that, which is what liberal theology would have us believe. They rekindle the hope. And John, you touched upon that word hope a moment ago. They rekindle the hope of believers looking for a better day. In fact, the words that strike me at this very moment are the words of Ignatius, or, or else it's Polycarp, who about, uh, uh, at, at the moment of his being martyred, makes the statement that these events are happening in the world when such and such a Caesar is ruling, while Jesus Christ is ruling over his kingdom. He uses a present tense. So it doesn't matter what Caesar may be in control. It is all happening while Jesus Christ is ruling over the world. That uh, is yes. how strong they express their hopes. Mm. Well, <clears throat> you know, ultimately, as we come to an end of this discussion, the issue boils down to something very, very basic, and that is faith versus unbelief, uh, or revelation versus reason. Modern liberal theology and those who embrace them are putting reason over revelation, uh, unbelief over faith. And it really means that no matter how strong an argument we may make for the truth and the trustworthiness of Daniel, it still will not convince certain people because they are given over to a mind, basically that is reprobate concerning the faith, and they'll, they are willing to believe lies and other things to avoid the truth of the gospel. So we've had, we have this strong uh, support for the book of Daniel. Uh, you know, if people are not convinced of the reliability of Daniel and his truthfulness, then there's no point in talking about, again, the rapture, great tribulation, the apocalypse, and all the things of the future. But if Daniel is reliable, then we have a strong, certain hope. And there's also a warning for those who uh, refuse to believe what Daniel and the other prophets have written because they will be held accountable at the judgment time coming at the end of the world. Any final comments, John? Nope, I think that cares for it quite nicely. All right. So we should study the scriptures, read them again, apply their truth to our living in expectancy of the near coming of Christ. And that coming is nearer today than when we first believed. Amen? Amen. We'll talk again soon, John. Very good. I'll look forward to it. All right. Bye now.